0: Welcome all. We'll just start in 30 seconds to allow everyone to get in the room. Perfect. Hello and welcome to Myosh Webinars. My name is Maddie and I'm the Senior Consultant for Myosh. Today's webinar is Adapting Well-Being Programs Across Differing Environments presented by Greg Stark. Greg is the founder and director of Better Being. His background in optimizing elite athlete performance merges competitive drive with exercise science, making him the go-to coach for busy executives looking to achieve balance and well-being. A little bit of housekeeping before we start. The chat is disabled, so if you do have any questions or comments throughout the presentation, we will be monitoring the Q&A section, which is uh, down below. Today's session is being recorded and will be sent to all registered attendees later today as well. Um, So please enjoy, and over to you, Greg.
1: Thank you, Maddie, and hello, everyone, once again. Thank you for joining us for today's session. I thought I'd start off with a bit of a story uh, about my honeymoon, strangely enough, You're probably thinking what does what does your honeymoon have to do uh, with health and well-being across different contexts. Uh, but when we went on honeymoon, we went to Tanzania, my wife and I, uh, and we decided to be adventurous and go for a bit of a hike through the mountains. We weren't that adventurous where we went up Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, We went up one of the smaller mountains, but we came across this young man as our tour guide called Henry there in the the white shirt holding the water bottle. Uh, Henry was a a young man full of energy and enthusiasm uh, and a real passion for for life. And uh, as we got chatting with Henry, uh, discovered that we both shared the same passion for uh, football and tragically both supported Manchester United. So during the walk, we obviously spoke in depth about football. And at the end of the walk, he then uh, invited me to come and join his mates who were having a, a training session that afternoon. Uh, so we went along to where, where they, uh, they trained. And I've played on a few cow paddocks over the years playing football myself. Uh, but this was literally a cow paddock. There was a cow that would chase us around the field as we were warming up cow dung all throughout the, the oval and every time i touched the ball all i could hear was mazungo mazungo which means white man um but it was a, an amazing experience and felt so inclusive and you know amazing to, to connect with people through through sport and um and do it in that context at the end of that training session henry then said to my my wife and i uh, would we like to come and visit where he lives and so he took us to to his house uh, being very honoured to, to be allowed to, to come and see see where he lived. And, you know, when he spoke about his house, it was you know, nothing more than probably a mud hut, um, corrugated iron roof. You know, he shared it with his mum, his sister, his niece. Uh, his father passed away when he was young, quite tragically. Um, but with great pride in his house, he he took us through, you know, what was the kitchen, essentially a, a little fire pit, and he showed us his bedroom, which was a section of the, the mud hut, But interestingly, what I noticed in Henry's bedroom was this big poster of a white masonette house, beautiful Corvette car parked in the driveway, sort of the the typical American dream in that sense. So I asked Henry, what is that poster all about? And his face just lit up with with pride and excitement uh, to tell me all about the fact that that was the house that he was going to build for his mother. And he ran outside and he showed us the big pile of bricks that he'd been saving up through years of, of hosting people. He he showed us the layout of where the house was going to be and exactly how he was going to, going to build it. And then as we wrapped up there, he then offered to walk us back to our hotel room. And I remember like it it was yesterday. And at that point he turned around to me and he said, this is my life. It is simple, but I am happy. And I think so often we get so caught up in, in our own lives that, uh, you know, about wanting to to get more and do more that we forget about those those simple things that that make us happy. But I think the other lesson that I took out of that experience as well is that happiness can be in many forms across many different contexts. So I guess the purpose of today is to talk about how can we create a happy and healthy workplace regardless of the context uh, and really pay attention to where we can meet people where they're at. When it comes to building a happy and healthy workforce, we know that right now, and I think it's this mental health pressure is is beyond a tipping point. It's it's really bubbling over the edges between you know the financial pressures that are going on, uh, the issues going on globally with conflicts happening all around the world, uh, to changes in work environment with people working hybrid or coming into the office. Uh, the increases in social disconnection. Um, we know that the environment is not a great place when it comes to our health and vitality. And we know that the workplace plays an essential role in this, which is why we're having a lot of these conversations with lots of different organisations at the moment. Uh, I love to make these sessions as interactive as possible. Uh, And I'd love for you to join in the comment or sorry, the comment section is uh, not available in the Q&A section. And I'd love to hear from you, what is the greatest challenges that you're facing right now when it comes to workplace wellbeing? Share those in the comment section so I can really talk to those challenges today and maybe share some examples of work that we're doing with clients that have helped to solve those challenges. If you can put that in the Q&A section and I'll, uh, I'll throw to Maddie in a second to get that feedback. Um, but again, throughout the course of today, if you have any questions, jump in there. Would love to to hear from you and, and your side of the screen. While they're coming through, I guess a bit of background about myself, Maddie mentioned I started my career working with elite athletes uh, in sports and exercise science, then saw the opportunity to take those same principles of high performance, uh, from what we do with athletes into the corporate world and began working uh, with executives. Those executives started to feel great when it came to their health and well being and how they performed in the workplace. They wanted the same for their teams. And so we came in and we started delivering programs for their teams. But one of the things that we noticed very early on is that the people that engaged with those programs were usually the people that were doing all the right things already. They were the ones that were eating well, exercising, getting enough sleep, managing their stress. The people that we really needed to help were the ones still stuck at their desk. They're not sleeping. They're feeling stressed and overwhelmed, not eating well, not getting enough movement. They were the people that we really wanted to help. So that's where we really dove a lot deeper into this corporate wellness area. We've been doing it for coming up to almost 15 years in terms of how do we support organisations in helping people to change their behaviours when it comes to health and well-being, And so as a business, our whole mission statement is how do we create a happier and healthier, not just work, but life outside of work. And we know that those two are so interconnected that often what's happening in our personal lives really influences our work and what happens in our work life really influences our personal life. Maddie, what do we have coming through from people as the challenges?
0: Yeah, so we have a uh, lack of respect towards staff from senior management.
1: Yeah perfect so I think that's not perfect but again it's one that we um, hear quite often uh, the the disconnect and uh, you know I presented with Moosh, uh last month around the pressures on senior leadership how senior leaders know that well-being is important but there's a disconnect in actually them actually doing anything proactively to support their teams. Uh, when it comes to supporting individuals' well-being, so um, hopefully we can talk to that a little bit in terms of some strategies that we can use to to address those things today. Uh, anything else coming through, Maddy?
0: Yes. So, how do you change the work environment to create a supportive environment for all, instead of changing individuals' behaviours when it is the workplace creating the issues?
1: Yeah, and again, I'm going to talk about this in in a second. That there's there's always work design factors that influence wellbeing. And then there's individual behaviours that can, can also influence wellbeing. And so it's really important that we don't get caught up in putting all the blame on the employees and saying the employees need to manage their stress and to, to be healthier and focus on that. But actually looking at also what are what those work design factors that we can improve upon and change um, within the workplace that can create an overall healthier and happier workspace. Um, any other ones?
0: Yes, uh, last one. Uh, so. Working from home. I've been uh, working from home since early uh, in the COVID phenomenon, but now there are moves to make everyone come back in and work from the office. I've worked very successfully from home for a couple of years, and now they want me to have the stress and cost of commuting uh, sorry, commuting for no visible gain.
1: Yeah, again, I think a lot of businesses are, are struggling with this at the moment. I mean, COVID was amazing in terms of proving the fact that people can work remotely and be really productive in the way that they work. But actually, you know, a lot of the research is showing that it actually isn't necessarily improving health outcomes for individuals, that people are actually working longer hours rather than working shorter hours uh, because they feel that there's almost a need to compensate. And that's not to say that there's a lot of people that this is working for by having this remote uh, working option. But the other thing that's becoming very apparent is um, a real lack of social connection and in, in the health and well-being of people. We know that it's important for a business in terms of having connection and purpose to the business itself. But more importantly, at an individual level, it's really impacting people's health and well-being. We're seeing this loneliness epidemic and having remote workforces where people don't leave the comfort of their house and actually physically connect in the same space as other people is creating a whole raft of uh, physical and mental health challenges for people going forward. So again, I can sympathise with your personal uh, circumstance, but a lot of these decisions by workplaces aren't just doing things reactively and saying we need to make sure that everyone's in the office so so that they're working well. There is a lot of research behind why people are making these changes as organisations. And I think people are still just trying to find what that sweet spot is um as, as a framework and every organization's different. But what is that sweet spot? So that people can be happy, healthy, and productive within the workplace. Thanks, Manny. No worries. So some of the other research that's coming out, this research was from Deloitte uh, in June this year. Uh, right now, well-being uh is the number one priority for 84% of people. It is more important. Then career progression for people right now. I think career progressions is about seventy four percent. And as someone mentioned earlier, that a lot of the obstacles that this group of people are facing uh, is centered around work. That heavy workload, stressful jobs, long work hours top the list of obstacles people are saying that are getting in the way of their well being. So I think again, we're everyone's sort of trying to discover what is my best operating rhythm, Uh, but I guess for the purpose of today we want to talk more about how do we help support people knowing that it is their number one priority right now, how do we support them in improving their um, well-beings from a work design and human factor perspective. The research went on to talk about there being three keys to unlocking workforce wellbeing. So empower managers to support the workforce wellbeing. I think again we've already mentioned that early. Um, you know wellbeing is very much influenced by managers. Managers have a lot on their their plate. A lot of them themselves struggle with their own wellbeing and then are expected to support the, the wellbeing of others. So again, really looking at how can we best support those managers. Um, to provide solutions that support others, hold the executives and the organization accountable. A big part of it, a- accountability and things that we come across a lot of the time when it comes to well being, people just want to tick a box. They just want to say, yep, we do well being, we offer a fruit bowl, we do a, a workshop once a year, we do a wellness week. That those things are very tokenistic, that we need to be able to, to measure um, well being on a regular basis to not only have awareness on the issues that face employees, but actually to see if interventions are having impact. Uh, And obviously there's a lot going on at the moment around psychosocial risk and psychosocial risk assessments. I imagine a lot of companies on here today uh, have either completed that or are completing that at the moment. Um, But again, it's great to see that we are holding businesses more accountable to the wellbeing outcomes within the organisations. Um, And then embrace the broader movement towards human sustainability. So, again, the importance of helping uh, doing things not only at a work design level, but at a human level and moving towards, you know, the priority of helping people to be happier and healthier within the workplace and at home long term, not just quick fix Band-Aid solutions. And how do we go about that? So as we spoke about before, this is our approach and philosophy when it comes to workplace wellbeing. There's three core factors that really influence an individual's wellbeing. So first of all, you've obviously got your uh, policy. So again, what are the rules and regulations? Some of that's safety-based, some of that's you know compliance with legislation, some of it is just your own policies around best practice and ways of working internally for your business. But again, what are the rules and regulations that's there to help people keep people safe, but also healthy and happy? We then also have the environment. Now, when we're talking about environment, we're not just talking about the physical environment, but also the the online environment and the social environment. How are we creating environments um, where it helps people to be happy and healthy? You know, do we have ways of making sure that emails aren't being sent to, you know, 11 o'clock at night? Which is, you know, interrupting with people's life outside of work. Um, again, what are the what are the policies around a lot of those type of things, so that people can have that separation uh, between work and, and life. Um, and again, look, there's there's always lots of variables to that, but I guess the principle of creating the best environment and policies that are conducive to well being and identifying those hazards. The last component there is the individual behaviours of the employees. So we look at those as human factors. So policy, environment, obviously, are work design factors. The behaviours of your employee are human factors. And when we look at those, we look at how can we influence those behaviours across our four pillars of performance. We know that if we get people focusing on those four pillars, being mindset, movement, nutrition, recovery, that they can turn up as their best self to deal with the rigours within a workplace environment. Now, in saying that, uh, someone can be doing all the best practice in terms of behaviors. They can be sleeping well, eating well, moving well, um, but they're coming into quite a toxic workplace um, because their manager is bullying them or a staff member is bullying them. Um, It doesn't matter how good those behaviors are, unless we improve that environment for that person to be in, the the wellbeing outcomes are still gonna be poor for that individual and that team, um, more importantly as well. And conversely, we could have the best laid out work environment, the best practice in terms of policy. But if someone's staying up, you know, until 2 a.m. in the morning because they're on TikTok watching the latest uh, TikTok trends uh, and only getting three or four hours of sleep and coming into the work, doesn't matter how good those work design factors, their risk of injury is still double due purely to the fact that they're not getting enough sleep. So we need to really highlight these challenges at an individual level, but more importantly, give people the tools and resources and accountability to start creating change in that space as well. Again, if you have any questions around that or examples, um, please throw those in the Q&A section, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, so, again, a bit of a, a, I guess, a case study, an example of where we've implemented a really great uh, well-being program, and then I'm going to talk more about how we adapted that across the different environments uh, at the time. So, with the sudden onset of COVID-19, which almost feels like a lifetime ago now, uh, Coca-Cola, CCEP engaged us because they wanted to help people navigate the physical and mental challenges over what was quite a, a challenging time for them. Um, So when we set out to design a program for them, I guess traditional thinking, what you would usually do is, you know, and again, this might be already in place within your organization, but often you would send a questionnaire out and engagement survey or all survey that might get done once a year, maybe twice a year, or you know, best case scenario, three times a year. Um, You would get your employees to complete that questionnaire You will then get all the feedback from that and it would take three months to interpret that data, identify the the challenges and issues across different segments of the business. And then it might be another three months down the line where you uh, engage providers and create a bit of a plan in terms of internal and external providers to come in, um, get all the costings up and then have to present that to to the senior exec team. So you're another six months down the line. uh, And then by the time you get all the approvals and then you start to implement the program, you're another three months down the line. So about that stage, you're, you know, identify, asking questions for a point in time and then you're nine months down the line and that environment can be vastly different in that nine months time and then wonder why those actions and those steps that you've put in place, you know, aren't resonating and aren't connecting with people. Um, but that's typically how a lot of companies approach well being. And of this quote, the Henry Ford quote, is that often if we ask people what they wanted, uh, they would have asked for faster horses. Obviously Henry Ford uh, was the inventor of the car. Um, So again, what Henry Ford did is that he knew that people needed to get from A to B as quickly and as reliably as possible. So rather than looking at creating faster horses, he invented what is now known as the automobile, the car, um, as a way to get people from A to B much quicker. same can be said across well-being. Sometimes people don't know exactly what it is they need um, or what they want. Some people might say, I want a discounted gym membership, I want a fruit bowl. Um, you know, I want to be able to have extra funds to, to have runners. Um, all those things might be great ideas, but they're not what is going to create a, a meaningful and impactful long-term change within the organization. And I think one of the the key mentalities that we have is give people what they need, package it, how they want to see it and how they engage with it. So the way that we like to approach our programs, uh, and again, I've spoken previously uh, about our PERMA Plus model in terms of positive emotion, engagement, relationship, meaning and accomplishment, that we always keep that in mind uh, when we're designing the program. A step that we do before we actually design the program itself is that we go through human centred design. And I guess the key parts to human centred design is obviously, first of all, we want to be able to de- define the people that we're wanting to speak to. What is their, their scenario? Who are they? Um, you know, How old are they? What gender? What's their occupation? Once we've identified who these people are, um, We then move into empathize. So what are these people, what what are they feeling at the moment? What is their pain points? What is their beliefs? What are their goals? And let's start to create a list. And again, it's not going to be the same for everyone and different contexts are going to be slightly different, but really thinking about who are the people we're trying to target with this initiative? What are their pain points? What are they feeling and thinking? And then from there, think about what sort of prototype can we create from that? And that's not just talking about what sort of tech fancy technology do we need to bring in? Uh, It can be about, you know, training and development and how we deliver that training and development and really thinking about how do they consume information? Again, what is their, their routine and ritual like where they can consume information in a meaningful and impactful way? And then we start to implement that program once the prototype's built out. And what's really important is to evaluate it as we go. As we go, So rather than waiting 12 months for another engagement survey to say, hey, were we successful? Did this work? But doing it in real time. Are we looking at numbers around how engaged are people in these different activities that we're, we're running and ways to educate them? Are we evaluating the change in behaviour over time? Are we evaluating uh, areas of strength? compared to areas of opportunity of where we can improve the program. And being able to do that as close to real time as possible is really important. Um, So we implemented uh, what we call our complete program with CCEP using this human centered design and PERMA plus model in the prototype to deliver a 12 month program where every month we had a different focus on health and wellbeing. And we communicated it in a way that really enforced um, positive psychology models uh, and ways to engage people uh, across different aspects of health and wellbeing throughout the year. And within six months, CCEP did, did an engagement score, a survey of their own. And what they found in that time period the workforce engagement rating went up to 93%. The increase to that level was attributed to the work that they were doing in this wellbeing space. Uh, and again, I've spoken previously, wellbeing programs, you get a far greater return on investment, getting a return on investment of $5.81 compared to $2.21 when it's uh, just safety. But when we do wellbeing and the reasons for that being is it decreases workers' comp claims by 40% but more importantly increases productivity uh by 200% and you are four times more likely to retain staff when you have an effective wellbeing program and all those stats lead to better employment engagement so we saw that uh internally within uh CCEP within Australia this result was so remarkable that globally uh, it got flagged as something they'd never seen before, and they presented at the European conference around uh, uh, the work that we we're doing in that space. So we could have quite easily gone, "Perfect, how good are we? This is amazing. Just keep doing the same thing." But as much as it it pains me, particularly with the the Rugby World Cup going on at the moment, um, and the All Blacks looking very strong contenders uh, for the title. When you're at the top of your game, that is when you need to innovate the most. And so the All Blacks have this mantra mentality that you go for the gap when you're top of your game. Um, And so if we relate that back to, I guess the CCEP program, when we looked a bit deeper into a lot of the engagement stuff and uh, the areas of the business where we were getting really good traction, we identified that within that, the supply chain people, weren't engaging with the material as well as the people that were in head office. And when we applied that that design uh, human design thinking to it, it became very clear as to why that was. So we applied this process, as I said, in terms of the design process thinking. So when we started to define who the head office were, uh, again, it was a, a mixture of, of genders, typically between 30 to 50, obviously there's always outliers. Um, again, they're in front of their computers all day long, very technology savvy, flexible work schedules to a degree uh, in terms of when they can consume information. um, And a bit of their workload peak was around end of financial year. If we compare that to supply chain, uh, supply chain were typically males that were a little bit older in that 40 to 60 bracket, a lot of them didn't even know their own email address, let alone how to log in for a a webinar uh, that we could have been hosting. Their, their work schedules are very rigid. They have to be uh, on the floor at certain times in order to keep everything running that we couldn't take them off the floor for an hour just to talk and discuss about well being. And we know that their workload peaks were around end of calendar year, um, It was their busiest time of year. Then empathize. So again, if we started to look at those individual challenges across those different environments. So those within head office were feeling stress and, and both head office and supply chain were both feeling stress. Head office was more around workload uh, and volume of workload, uh, where supply chain, their stress was coming from a a lack of control over, again, very monotonous, repetitive work um, can actually cause stress and and again, not being able to change and control that. And again, so a way that we would talk and address stress would be very different across those two environments. Head office had quite a regular working pattern, Monday to Friday, nine to five type of thing, uh, where the supply chain, their sleep were on shifts, uh, either early shifts or late shifts, and that could change and it was a lot more variable. So, again, the challenges in with sleep was a lot more around shift work. The challenges around head office was about how do we you know, mentally switch off uh, and get that quality and quantity of sleep. If we look at nutrition, food choice, um, again, having access to a lot of food options, the head office compared to food accessibility, those sites are a lot more remote. A lot of people have to bring in their own food. So, again, how do we educate around making food choices in social settings compared to how do we make food choices and food preparation uh, at home to come in? If we looked at it from an exercise perspective, uh, exercise is important to both groups. Head office, their biggest challenge when it comes to exercise is the amount of time that they spend sedentary, which obviously leads to a lot of diseases when we have high amounts of sedentary time. Again, the people that were in the operations field base, they're a lot more active. And so, again, it's a lot more about how do we manage movement and exercise in order to limit injury risk. Um, and a couple of other individual things. Uh, differences there. So when we looked at all all that, we then discussed what is the best way that we can communicate and address these people. So again, uh, the the typical way a lot of wellbeing programs work is let's run webinars, let's do e-learning courses, let's get written articles, and we can do on-site health consultations. And those things work really, really well, particularly at a head office level, where people have that, that flexibility in their working schedule. But if we look at supply chain, We know that a lot of these people were spending time in trucks as well. So rather than webinars, uh, let's put on podcasts. So we had pre-made podcasts that people could scan QR codes and access that podcast really quickly and listen to that same health and wellbeing topic as a podcast uh, as they drive around in their truck. So again, having that connection to, to the information, really accessible in that sense. Uh, We came in and delivered um, some toolbox talks as well, knowing that every morning there was an hour dedicated um, to doing a toolbox talk to talk about what was going on in the business. Uh, They would give us a 15-minute window of that toolbox talk to come in and deliver uh, a different topic on different areas of of health and wellbeing. Uh, And we've evolved that over time because what we also identified was that um, certain... Uh, remote areas as well, we couldn't quite physically get to. So we started to create leader-led packs, which help the the operational site leader to deliver those sessions themselves and not just give information, but what's really important with all these is stimulating conversations and starting conversations, particularly peer-to-peer. That's what helps to really change the culture within those different environments. And then the other aspect is infographic. So, again, what we found is that people didn't have the time. Uh, A lot of them were illiterate uh, in terms of being able to read really text-heavy research and and documents. We needed to make information really accessible. So we created a lot of infographs. Some of those infographs were put up on on screens within the the workshop floor to talk and highlight different topics and and promote certain healthy behaviours. And something else that we've recently started to do with, with a lot of clients is we've identified that, you know, within those um, different workforces, we have a lot of um, different ethnicities. And one particular client comes to mind, they identified that they had 30% Vietnamese workers uh, within their operations team. So now we're, we're creating these uh, resources in both languages Again, makes people feel more included within the environment, but it meets people in the context of where they're at and makes them uh, more likely to implement change by understanding the, the areas that impact them and the behaviors they need to improve on. And then last but not least is obviously the testing. So again, we, everything we do, we always look at how, how engaged people are, we have our wellbeing index, uh, which I'll talk to in, in, in a little bit about what the wellbeing index does and, and how that works. Uh, Again, from the conversations that we had with site managers, we would get an understanding of how much people would like the content, the things they might be struggling with. Uh, Again, the way we delivered those on-site sessions were very conversational, so we could keep it really interactive. Um, And that can be even down to little... Uh, subtleties as well when it comes to webinars in terms of whether we set them as a as a webinar for people to attend compared to a team meeting uh, we find that we get a lot more uptake and engagement so constantly looking at at those scores and something that's been consistent throughout all the work that we've done what works 12 months ago might not work today so we've got to constantly innovate think about how we can meet people where they're at. Again, we'd love to hear any questions in that section. Maddie. is there anything coming through uh, in regards to those different contexts of working?
0: Yes, just a couple. Um, So I don't understand how this helps an organisation look at their culture and how it may be negatively impacting their workers rather than implementing wellbeing activities to make workers feel better in the short term. So essentially um, band-aid effects rather than treating the symptom itself.
1: Yeah, and again, that's probably something I should have touched on. The work that we do, we specialise in the human factors, in how do we support the individuals. We don't specialise in the the work design factors and those cultural factors that might be going on at the moment. We've got some great partners uh, that we work with. I know FIFO do a lot of work with you guys as well. Um, They're experts in that area. Uh, But what we like to do is when we're working with those partners, is to get that insight and understanding of the context of the workplace environment that, that if there is, you know, cultural, you know, problems within teams or businesses um, again, how can we approach that from an individual level? I actually had a meeting today with a client uh, where they were talking to me about one particular team within their business uh, and whether our programs could help influence that. And what we, the insight they gave is what they know usually is that when there's those conflicts within businesses, um, and, and between employees that often those individuals' well-being have something else going on, that's meaning that that conflict is showing up in the workplace. So if we can help them at an individual level to to get to a better place in terms of how they feel about themselves and how they feel about the world and how they feel um, because they're, they're feeling healthy themselves and, and well. That we know that those outcomes in, within teams and, and peer-to-peer improve as well. So I guess there's twofold to that to that question. Firstly, definitely engage in experts across that, that work design aspect of well-being. Uh, but don't don't completely disregard at the individual level the impact you can have at an individual and how that can transform a workplace culture as well.
0: Uh, and we have Is one other. Sorry. We <laughs> had one other yeah, one, um, food choice and um accessibility. So could you get the organization to look at their environment and find out why their workers are unable to bring healthy food to work?
1: Yeah, again, it's it's always a big part of what we do is we want to understand those, those challenges that the individual faces. Uh again, if we're looking at that that environment and individual aspects, um, you know, we speak to clients all the time where They've taken out the unhealthy vending machines from the, uh, the workplace and it's almost started a riot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, what we want to do is not necessarily look at what we take away from people, but how can we encourage people to have better behaviours? And whether that's at an individual level and, again, the background working one-on-one with people, you know, one of the first things that, that you get people to do is to make the healthy choice easy. That if the unhealthy choice is easy, we're going to we're going to go for that more often than not. So if we can make those healthy choices by putting healthy vending machines on site, you can still have the junk food ones there, but make the healthy choice really good for people. And then more importantly help to to put a spotlight on how to interact with that environment, knowing that those options are there. Why is it important that people need to eat more vegetables? Why is it important that people need to stay hydrated? Why is it important that eating a good diversity of uh, nutrients really helps us in how we feel physically and also perform mentally? Thanks, buddy. Um. Yes. So this is the sort of feedback. This isn't Coke's uh, score when it comes to Wellbeing Index. This is a mock-up one that we made up ourselves. Uh, but in terms of evaluating the effectiveness of, of a program. So a lot of companies now are, are really talking to us about how do we see if the, the, the changes where the programs we're implementing are creating meaningful change and you can't manage what you don't measure so we created our well-being index a number of years ago uh, and i guess some of the fundamental key differences between our well-being index tool compared to you know a a typical engagement survey the well-being index tool is uh, focused purely on behaviors of employees so what are the things that people are doing because we know what the behaviors do dedicates what the outcomes are. Too often we just focus on the outcomes. So how stressed are you? I'm really stressed without actually discovering what are those individual behaviors that are within the control of the individual. Uh, so not necessarily looking at that workplace design type of survey, but at an individual level, what are the behaviours that are they doing on a regular basis that are either helping them or hindering them when it comes to their own well-being? So we aggregate that data there. So again, we get an overall well-being score and hopefully over time we see that increase. But more importantly, we can identify which areas people are struggling with most. So we can see at this particular example, 57% on movement. So again, we might need to be doing a bit more work on movement. And then we break it down into areas that are going really, really well. So we can see in this particular example, 88% of employees make an effort to socially connect outside of the workplace. So again, as I mentioned before, loneliness is at epidemic levels. This workplace is doing some great work. Um, They've got obviously a very social bunch. We don't really need to talk to to them from that lens of of, uh, loneliness and making social connection. Uh, But if we do look at, say, something like recovery is that 47% of employees will work until they're burnt out and won't take steps to prevent this. So, again, that's a really great opportunity for us to come in, run some educations, identify maybe the groups within the business that would benefit from this um, type of of, uh, information and education, Uh, and obviously, you know, working with the organisation to make sure that the work design factors are also being improved across those different areas. But we never give individual data. We don't give data that enables you to identify who the individuals are. It's always aggregated data in a way for you to, again, measure change at an organizational level. And then it also encourages the individual to want to complete these surveys because they can quantify their own wellbeing. They can help to identify the areas that they need to change in. So there is tangible benefits to the individual, not just me giving data to the workplace, but actually helping me to identify where is my well being at and what are my areas for improvement at an individual level and then for you as an organisation. So again, we implemented that uh, across Coca-Cola uh, over the course, again, of the years and, and constantly evaluate and uh, adjust the programme as we go. And obviously, we can see their their feedback there that given the wide variety of roles, shift patterns and demands across CCEP, it can be difficult to coordinate any session and have our people willing to utilise their valuable time. Um, So not only did we see that increase in engagement across head office, organisation-wide, but also within supply chain, where they really value the information that we provide for them and the way that we we engage with them. Uh, This program has been so successful that last year they won the best health and wellbeing program at the HR awards as well. Thank you for joining in. Time for any last questions when it comes to how do we adapt these communications across different working contexts? Hopefully I've given you a few things to, to think about. When it comes to, I guess, having that human-centered design, not conducting surveys, interpreting that data for 12 months, and then starting to to make changes, but trying to do things in real time, um, so that you can help problem solve as we go and continue to to innovate. Um, if you do want some more information. Uh, If you scan that QR code at the bottom of your screen, that will take you to some white papers that we've developed uh, across these different areas and aspects. Uh, We've also got our calendar of events coming out uh, in the next week or so in terms of suggested events across both a uh, head office organization wide, uh, both globally and locally here in Australia. And then we've got another calendar Uh, which is different. And again, that's probably something to to point out that again, the the different contexts mean that we have different calendars, um, but more for those operational site type of businesses. Uh, Again, we we always tailor and make those unique to, to each individual. But if you follow that QR code, uh, you can download last one last year's uh, wellbeing calendar, and it will mean that you'll also receive uh, next year's calendar in the next few weeks. And again, hopefully, apply some of those human design thinking processes to your business. Uh, any last questions, Maddie? That are coming through. Uh, key takeaways, actually. Any key takeaways from people as well from today's session? Uh, again, nothing's no no time is worth taking of yours unless you're going to implement something off the back of it. Any thoughts around that off the back of today?
0: We just had uh, one final comment um, that was saying it is the environment and culture that sets up behaviours stress people uh, eat poorly. The research is very strong in this area.
1: Yeah, look, I'm not disagreeing with you in that. Both are really impactful. Um, We also know that when we eat poorly, we're more likely to be stressed. So yes, the vagus nerve connects the stomach and the mind together, um, that when we're we're eating poorly, our our susceptibility to stress uh, is increased. And then when we're stressed, we're more likely to eat poorly as well. So I I 100% agree to you, any organization that just comes in and implements a program like this without actually addressing those work design factors is gonna get very little return on investment from a program that just focuses on human factors. Conversely, focusing all resources on changing the environment without helping those individuals uh, misses out on huge opportunities to make people feel valued, to give people tools and resources that influence not only their own health and well being, but that of the people around them. So, again, I think it's always really important to, to bear in mind all those, those factors, but I 100% agree with you.
0: Absolutely. Um, that was the last of the comments. Um, but thank you for everyone attending today. If you do have any further uh, questions or comments um, for Greg or if you want to learn more about his program, please feel free to use the contact information on the screen at the moment. Um, thank you again for joining today's webinar and we hope to join you next time. Thanks,
1: Bye. many, And thanks, everyone, for tuning in today. Bye.